You're listening to an episode of the Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life podcast with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 184th episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. If you like today's episode, be sure to leave me a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at Olver International. Today, we'll be continuing our conversation on education with my colleague and dear friend, Steve Hammond. I met Steve at a WGI conference in 2010, where he delivered the keynote address. I knew we were destined to connect when he closed out his address by playing guitar and singing the George Strait song, Love Without End, the exact song my husband wanted us to play at his funeral. It forged an instant positive connection for me, and over the years, we have cultivated that relationship. I happen to know that Steve recently retired, but he isn't done yet. No way. He's working on something very big that I wanted him to be able to tell you all about. It's something Steve calls intentional total formation, but I'll let him tell you about that. Let me tell you a little about Steve himself. His professional mission is to assist schools and parents in empowering children and youth to strive to attain their highest potential. Steve is a lifelong educator and has served as a teacher, coach, department head, principal, head school, president, and superintendent of schools. In order to help fulfill his professional life's mission, Steve has created a school program design called Intentional Total Formation, or ITF, as he likes to call it, where students reflect upon one initiative for growth weekly over their tenure at school. These beliefs are then discussed in advisory groups and classrooms to create more insight and learning opportunities. As a result, students learn incrementally some of the most important skills, knowledge, attitudes, and virtues available to the human person. Students are encouraged to take their ITF and channel it into servant leadership. The transformational learning that occurs through the acquisition of attitudes, beliefs, and skills lays the foundation for a confident, happy, ethical, and productive life. Steve is on the faculty at the William Glasser Institute for Choice Theory, where he lectures, consults with schools and parents, provides speeches, trainings, and workshops. He has started a consulting firm called Hammond Educational Consulting and is currently writing a book on his school design of intentional total formation, which is planned to be available in early summer 2024. Steve is married to his high school sweetheart, Renee Gilrith Hammond. They have had two children, Jeremy and Maggie, and three grandchildren, Brennan, Penelope, and Samantha Jane. Thank you so much for joining us today, Steve. I know you're in the middle of a writing retreat, and I'm grateful you take a break from that to talk with us. Kim, it's an absolute joy, and thank you for having me on this program. I look forward to it, and I look forward to connecting to anyone out there that would like to know more about the total formation of the human person and how that dynamically improves the learning and the character of people and students that engage in it. The first thing I would like to say is, why is this idea so important to me? And in that, I would say is that I've spent many, many years, over 50 years in education, 
What I mean by that is working with children to know themselves better, to find out who they truly are, and then to develop skills and attitudes and values and virtues in which they can claim their highest self, their highest destiny, their best self. That's what I'm passionate about, because over these years, I've seen so many children do so well because they've highly intentionally looked at, studied, reflected upon, meditated on different invitations for growth, different precepts that ask them, where have I done really well in this and where have I not done so well without any coercion? all of their meditation and thought. And as they go through this process, year in, year out, this incremental process, they grow in those ideas, they grow in who they are, they know what they believe about these skills and these bits of knowledge and the like, and they come out of that period of growth so confident, so self-possessed, so poised, and ready to take the next step into their education. It is just beyond inspirational. I've seen the transformation and the transformative process work time and time again. I want to share that with more and more children and youth, parents and teachers and administrators, so that they can claim that same type of growth in their own lives and in the lives of those of whom they are ministering to or in charge of or wards of. The other thing that strikes me is that I've seen too many children that get just beaten up by the system. They're just not cut out for the system. They get chewed up in the machinery. They fall through the cracks. The educational system is not prepared to deal with them adequately with their unique personalities, needs, wants, and the like. That really bothers me. And we're losing too many kids. And with those kids, I'm kind of attracted to anyway. I want to help them. I just have an innate desire, need to help those kids. The system does just that because it works with them slowly, incrementally, over time, that says, hey, you're okay. You know, you're going to be okay. And that all you have to do is to follow this process, learn better and better who you are and what you believe in, what you stand for, what you don't stand for. And then you'll come out of that process saying, I'm okay with myself. I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm in the process of growth. But for right now, at this time, I'm okay with being me, and I'm ready for the next step. And that is what just inspires me, and I'm impassioned by that. And I hope that you will be too, because the world is full of those kids. The other kids that do pretty well in the system, they're going to use this process, and they will just do tremendously better than what they've done before. But it's those kids, and there's a lot of them, that this process will help them in a way that other processes can't help. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm a passion. That's why I'm writing this book. That's why I'm now ready after my career in the direct services of children. I'm ready to get out and spread this word because I know that it works. 
if you're listening to this uh, podcast right here, I know you'll love it. Steve, as I listened to you talk about that, several things came to mind. Because I've worked with those disadvantaged children myself for many years in a foster care system, and I watch them fall through the cracks educationally, I share your passion for reaching those kids. And I'm guessing that a big part of this ITF system is to have adults who don't judge and who truly respectfully listen to what these kids are saying. I think that that has to be the key because kids can do all the self-reflecting they want if they bring it to an adult who doesn't really care what they're saying or who tells them they're wrong and they shouldn't think those things. They're not going to come out with the same outcome. It sounds like you spend a lot of time cultivating those parents and teachers to be able to do just that. Without a doubt. I'm going to take a sliver of the Intentional Total Formational Program, but listeners and observers know that it's bigger than this, but this is a central part. And Kim is asking, okay, how do you structure a conversation with children that will allow them to grow and to develop uh, beliefs without pressuring them or without beating them up. Am I pretty close in that? Yes, absolutely. So one, you have to structure the conversation. And to do that in the ITF system, we've created a structure of a number of precepts. I like to call them invitations for growth in these domains. It's structured. In the life of mind, in the life of spirit, in the life of relationship, in the life of creativity, in the life of wellness, physical and mental, and then ultimately in the life of servant leadership, giving back to the community that nurtured you in the first place. There is conversations and a lot of sub-conversations that are in each of the invitations under those domains. It is entirely non-coercive. The only thing that we ask of students is that they truly reflect on it. We're not asking them to believe in the precept. We're just asking them to reflect on it and talk about the times where they've actually achieved it and the times that they haven't, not beat themselves up for the times that they haven't, and not get all puffed up for the times that they have, but to treat both of them in the same way. And ultimately, what's important is what they've learned in the process. This conversation is structured, it's non-coercive, and it's given over time. I want to stress the incrementality of the reflection because it's in the incrementality that bit by bit, year after year, conversation and reflection after conversation and reflection, that these understandings, these beliefs are formed in the hearts and minds of children. They come out at their time of graduation, and you know, for whatever the terminal grade is, They know pretty well who they are, enormously more than a child or a young person would without going through this process. They tend to be confident. They tend to be articulate because they've had all these conversations. 
They tend to be at ease and poised with adults, and they're ready for the next stage of education that looms in front of them. The joy to see. But Kim, I always wanted to answer your question. These are structured reflections. They take as long as the child is at the school, or if it's a homeschool, as long as the homeschool is functioning and the parent is working with the child in these virtues, values, skills, knowledge, and attitudes. I hope that makes some kind of sense. It makes a whole lot of sense. Do the parents and the teachers who are using this, do they actually go through the same invitations for growth as the students do? That is such an insightful question. Actually, what happens with the teachers who are talking about this and for the parents who are talking about this, they become formed, if you will, or transformed in very much the same manner as the children, because you can't ask a question, whether it's to anyone or to yourself, and take it back. If the question is asked, you've got to start thinking about it on some level. There's another way to say that for teachers, you can't give what you don't have. Over the years, and even less than that, if you're engaged in that conversation, you develop all these thoughts, all these beliefs, all these skills, attitudes that you are then passing on to the student in numerous ways. So you become transformed. The old adage that a rising tide raises all ships is totally applicable here because as the children grow, so does the teacher, so does the parent. It's a beautiful thing to see not only an individual transformed, but a community transformed by everyone learning the same things and growing from it. Yeah, I could see the real benefit there for sure. What are some of the benefits? You've already mentioned some, but I don't know if there's more you want to talk about as far as benefits for schools and parents who adopt this ITF vision and practice. Well, I want to talk about the benefits of the child first, because that's our focus. As you so brilliantly pointed out in this process, it carries over to the adult and the community at large. But the benefits for a child are just so dynamic and meaningful. The first thing is, and I'm going to go back to Socrates here. One of Socrates, maybe his even greatest insight and advice is to know yourself. If a child can go through this process of reflecting on all of these different invitations, come out saying that, yes, I believe in this and that, I don't believe in this over here, but can come out through that process however it falls out in the individual child and say, this is what I believe, this is what I stand for. That is another way of saying, I know myself. I know yes. what I stand for. For a human being to be able to say that at any developmental level or age is impressive. But when they can say that when they're 11 years old, 12 years old, or 15 years old, super impressive. It's a gift that you could give them no greater gift than the process in which they could come out of it saying, at this time and place, this is who I am. What's the benefits of that? The benefits is confidence, competence, leadership, poise, it's resilience, it's perseverance, it's grit, it's the development of a growth mindset, 
because it's all in here. It's all in these precepts. They learn all of those things and more, self-responsibility. Ultimately, it's self-mastery. They come out of this process with those kind of benefits, being, in a big word, self-possessed and on their way to self-mastery and self-actualization. The benefits are enormous. What does that do in terms of the educational process as you were talking about? Well, if you empower children in that way, they're going to start being responsible for their own work. They're going to be more self-reliant. They're going to take the load off the teacher to a great extent because they've become interested in their own work and they're doing a whole lot of the work rather than the teacher running in circles trying to get them to do work. Right. It's a process of self-empowerment because you're saying, I'm not going to tell you who you are. I'm not going to tell you who you ought to be or you should be. You're going to tell me who you are. And you have to go through a period of discovery to do that. And that period of discovery is pure empowerment. That is, you've got the power to tell me and to discover. Nobody can do it for you. Nobody can do it but you. Does that make sense? Total sense. So, Steve, you've mentioned these precepts and invitation for growth several times. Could you maybe give us an example of one or two that a student might encounter? I certainly can. The first one that comes to mind is there's a student will have developed an appreciation of varying worldviews. If there's anything that we need in this world and our society on the planet is people who can appreciate the worldviews, the positions, the situations, the understandings, the beliefs, the culture of others. That is at the heart, that is a focus of education. If students can do that, then they have the basis of forming strong relationships with a variety of people, not just people that look like them or act like them, but everybody. In this global shrinking globe that we live on right now, it is of absolute importance. To your point, Kim, that's just one of the invitations. But if they reflect upon that from the time that they're four years old in pre-K to whenever they graduate, could be 18 if it's a high school or 13 at a middle school or junior high, then they have developed in each of their age levels and grade levels increasingly more sophisticated thoughts about what that means to them. And in doing so, they'll graduate with a worldview that's broadly encompassing of other cultures and societies and people and differences. And that's what we need in this world. Not that we're going to agree with every one of those parts of those cultures, but we don't necessarily agree with anybody inside our own culture. But to appreciate them in the broad sense of that view and to be able to develop relationships as a result something that's dramatically needed. Does that help, Kim? 
Oh, it really does. And it's so appropriate that we're talking about this in the middle of the war in Gaza with Hamas and Israelis and in our own country, in the United States, with our elections coming up with Democrats and Republicans on opposite ends. It sounds like your students will have the opportunity to make room for more than one right answer. It seems like we've lived in a black and white world. My way's right, and I have to get you to agree with it. And that's what happens. And when you come across someone who doesn't think like you, you either have to hate them or you have to kill them. It's insane. I love that that's one of the precepts, and it makes me want to know all of them, but I'm not going to take that from you right now. I'll have to take the program or read your book. I will do that. We have a domain on the creative imagination, short for the life of creativity. And one of them is to understand that the ability to create is the highest gift that we have as a human person. It differentiates us from all other species. It's enabled us through the development of our frontal lobes over time to be able to adapt to hostile environments to where we have and we do survive in every environment. And it's led us to a creative explosion that is simply mind-boggling. When children hear creativity, they think of finger painting. There's nothing wrong with finger painting, you know, when you talk about creativity. In fact, there's everything good about it. But our creative impulses work through every domain of learning that we have as a human being. And so we ask the children in one of these precepts or invitations to identify how they have been creative in multiple areas of learning. It might be in their art, that might be in their in math, that might be in their athletics, that might be in games that they play, whatever, but just to reinforce that we can create. And that makes us amazingly special beings. We're obviously trying to encourage that creation, creative ability in children. That's just another domain precept to talk about, Kim, that I think is just really amazingly important inside an education and a formative experience. Yeah, I agree. I think it's true that we are all uniquely creative. I've come to learn that. What a beautiful gift that you give to these students. Mm -hmm. I love it. Mm -hmm. What are the major beliefs that are involved in ITF, Steve? A great question. The first is a belief that education, true education, is the total formation of the human person. We have for years minimalized our view and our definition of education to being the training you get in school and a very limited sliver of intended learner outcomes that we call a curriculum. That's what we're calling education. Education, true education, has got to be amazingly more than that. True education is dynamic, it's beautiful, it's energized, it cuts across every domain of personhood, and it is focused upon the dynamic and total formation of that individual so that they can ultimately grow up, they can develop, and they can be happy, 
ethical, productive problem solvers that can serve their communities well. That's what we should be working on. That's the vision. The vision is not, what did you learn about the Spanish-American War? Not that that's not important. (laughs) You can look that up. You certainly can. We're about the formation of the human person with all of its character, with all of the knowledge and the skills and the virtues and the values and the attitudes that go into that. That's got to be what education is. There's two things that come to mind based on what we've just said. And one is critical thinking, and the other is evaluating the information that we're exposed to on a daily basis. And I just wonder if that also is part of your IFT program. Well, it absolutely is. Over the years, student empowerment has been given some air some room to be discussed and the like, and it's bantered around a little bit, but really on the fringes. I don't see a lot of schools that are highly, highly intentional about student empowerment. If you're going to empower a student to be a critical thinker, to be an independent problem solver, then you have got to give that person the latitude to make decisions, to make choices. If you want to teach a person to build a house and you just sit there and talk about how to build a house, that's not teaching them how to build a house. They've got to get their hands dirty. They've got to get into those bricks. They've got to get that mortar and start slapping some mortar on those bricks and start building the house. But what we do in education, we just talk about it. That's not doing it. In ITF schools, just like in Glasser schools, because in this way they just totally combine, we try to reduce all fear. We try to take away punishment, take away reward academically and behaviorally, and just let those kids develop their own motivation for learning and behaving well. Most of them will do it. Not everyone will do it right off the bat. Those you have to work with a little bit, that's okay. What happens in the process, by giving them that latitude and then asking them to self-evaluate their work constantly, you develop people that have the confidence to make their own decisions. Now, why haven't we done this forever? We've talked about how other people have made good decisions, historically how presidents have made good and bad decisions, but how many schools really give kids the chance to make some really important decisions and not punish them if they mess up, but come back to the table and say, let's analyze this, see what's happened, and you tell me where you can make a better decision. That's a big part of what ITF is all about. And of course, as you know, what the Glasser Quality School is all about. To me, that's what learning is. People learn that way. I like to survey my audience and say, how many of you had to touch the stove after a grown-up told you it was hot? Most everybody I know touched the darn stove because we don't learn from people telling us things. We have to experience it for ourselves. So I really love that. Yeah. You know, when I was a principal, I'd often in assemblies, I'd sit down on the edge of the stage and in some way, shape or form or fashion, I said, you know, I would 
in some ways really like to shield you from the pain in the world and the difficulties and the challenges that you inevitably will experience just because you're alive on this earth. Because some of them are going to be hard. I just have to tell you that. You don't get through this world and all of it's easy. And I'd like to, because I care for you so much, I'd like to shield you from that. But knowing that I can't, it's my job and the job of these teachers sitting beside me and right beside you right there. They give you the tools where you can deal with it effectively and well and get through it, live to see another day and know that it's going to be okay. That's what we're here in this school to do, is to empower you to let those wings dry spread them and fly on your own. That's what we're all about. Yes, 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 yes. So you mentioned ITF schools. How does a school, a whole school system become an ITF certified school, Steve? If you want to pursue this, and I hope anybody listening would want to do it, is to first just give me a call and I have the criteria that is in effect to become an ITF school, broad-based. We can talk about that. And then if you're in a school, I would love the opportunity of visiting that school and doing a quick day long is all that it takes evaluation of the school. And then I can come back with the administrators or you or whoever it is, the decision makers. And we develop a process in which you can begin the process of beginning to become ITF. We've arranged it so it's a little different for everybody to meet individual needs because all schools are at a different place. And so we sit down and we understand where you are in that so we can develop that plan. And then we come with a plan. Usually the plans are a three-year plan, thinking that in three years, a school on the outside can develop the criteria and the competence to call themselves ITF and then go forward with that. The first thing just starts with just by giving me a call. I'll give you, or Kim will, at the end of this program, give you my email and phone number. Put it in the show notes, Steve. Yep, no problem. We can go forward with that. Rest assured that you don't have to do it overnight. This is the process. It's a change in a system. It's a change in a philosophy and a way of looking at education certainly change in the psychology of it. You were not expected to do it overnight, but there's a lot of things you can do in that first year that will immediately help kids. And you'll start seeing it right away when you get into that reflection piece of them reflecting on those invitations for growth. And if there's any teachers out there listening to this, you already know that you'll be blown away at what they can come back with and what they know just given the opportunity to articulate it. I would imagine that the teachers will gain the ability to do the thing they trained their whole life to do, which is teach instead of manage classroom behavior. Wouldn't that be lovely for the Mm -hmm. teachers that I know? Wow. All right, Steve, since you were on my podcast the last time, I have a new question that I like to ask all my guests in keeping with the title of this show. And that is, would you please share with us one choice you made that's had a significant positive impact on your life? I can do that. I'll have to tell a little story before it. Okay. I'd be disappointed if you didn't. Well, 
I had a dear friend of mine in high school and early college that was one of my best buddies. And I lost track of him after high school because I had met the person who would become my wife and we were spending more time than I would be spending with my other buddies. But Pat, I ran into him one day and it was at a big gathering, a fern bar kind of like place. The football game was going on and all that kind of stuff. We met each other and you gave each other a big hug and it was great to see them, get to see him. And then he said, Steve, can I talk to you? And he says, I've got an alcohol problem, and I'd really like to talk to you about it. I said, Pat. I said, anytime. In my 20-year-old brain, you know, that's all I could do at the time. I said, you can talk to me, call me, call me whenever, anytime. We can do that. If I had it to do all over again, and I've thought about this maybe a million times, I would have said to Renee, hey, Pat and I have to talk, and it's important. And we would have done that right there and gone out, found a place to have a cup of coffee and talk. But I didn't. The next week, it wasn't alcohol, it was heroin. And he OD'd. I was one of the pallbearers in his funeral. It was very difficult. During that experience, I promised myself I said, if anybody intimates signals, even in the faintest way, that they need help at any time, any day, anywhere, that I would drop what I was doing and I would say, let's get a cup of coffee. Since that time, I haven't known myself not to do that. And I hope I haven't let any of those opportunities slip through the cracks. If there was one thing that I could do or I've learned in this life to do, to don't let an opportunity to help somebody, which could be critical in their lives, to pass without it being answered well. Wow, Steve. That's a big one. That's a big one. Thank you for sharing that very personal example. You're welcome. And for everybody, you know, I'm sure that, you know, people are thinking right now, well, that happened to me in some other way. It might not have been as dramatic as that one way or the other. But, you know, if somebody reaches out for help, we never know the fuse, the time fuse that they're working on. Well, thank you for that. We are over time on this interview, so I'm not a bit sorry about it because everything you've had to say has just been wonderful. I just want to know if you have anything coming up you'd like to tell our audience about. Well, what I want to do right now in the development of my consulting firm is to share on a broader level the benefits and the how-tos a little bit of schools of intentional total formations. In doing that, I'm going to, after the first of the year, starting in 2024, I'm going to start offering some master classes that would last for about an hour. And then in that master class, I could give a broad view of what intentional total formation is all about and its benefits. I'm writing a book right now on the same topic, and I hope that uh, at least this would be out in draft form by the beginning of the summer and maybe be ready to go fully published maybe by the beginning of the fall, something like that, the end of the summer. 
that's, uh, that's the, the rough time frame I'm on. But I'm very excited about sharing this with people because I just know how dynamically wonderful it is for children. I can't wait. I can't wait to read your book. I'm looking forward to that. And I really appreciate you joining us today, Steve. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. It's been great. Until the next time. Until the next time. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And remember to leave a review and share with your connections on social media. I also hope you'll join me next week when we'll be continuing the topic of education with Heather Harrison and Amy Reed. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at lifeequalschoices.com or listen wherever you download your podcast. And don't forget, remember to subscribe.